so we did uh, Psalm 77 and 78 last week, and like I said, the goal is to do 79, 80, and 81, um, but we'll see what the Lord has. You know, the Lord's will be done. So uh, picking up here, uh, this uh, Psalm 79, now uh, a subtitle in mine says, A Dirge uh, and a Prayer for Israel Destroyed by Enemies, so a Lament for the Dead. Uh, this is a, a sad psalm when, when you look at the word dirge here. Psalm of Asaph. Verse 1. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens. The flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth their blood they have shed like water all around jerusalem and there was no one to bury them we have become a reproach to our neighbors a scorn and a derision to those who are around us so these uh, four verses are very heavy and uh, explaining the devastation of the uh, the penalty of sin for Israel, God used other nations to judge and, and, and correct Israel. So we see here that as they're in the midst of that and they've experienced that, uh, the crying out that there isn't a this isn't a result of God uh, just abandoning his people. Uh, this is the result of his people turning their back on him and him constantly trying to call them back. And they were stiff necked and hard hearted and wouldn't turn back. So this is uh, where their idolatry led them uh, as they were serving other gods. And, and we'll get into that. It's, it's a theme here uh, as we go through each of the Psalms that we're studying tonight. So there'll be some similarities as we study through, but there's also some pretty big differences as we go through. But uh, you know, this is the result of sin. You know, Sin should bring us to a point of, of brokenness and repentance uh, when, we, when it's kind of had its way. You know, when the Lord has, has let it bring us to a point of, yes, sin was fun. It was fulfilling for a little while. You thought, uh, you know, we think uh, at, at those times in our lives, and hopefully those times for all of us here are past us and, be, and, and, and we're moving forward and we never backslide into that sin ever again. But that's how sin works, right? We, we've talked about this several times in James, that sin entices us and draws us in. And then, uh, you know, we, we enjoy it for a small bit. And uh, once that, that, uh, that desire uh, brings forth sin, then sin does its work and brings forth death. That's how it works. Uh, in every, situ every situation, there's death as a result of sin. So uh, we see that happening here, that they... Uh, were drawn in by something that there was uh, there was idolatry drawing and pulling at the, their heartstrings, so they followed it because of the the lie of idolatry that there's going to be fulfillment in serving someone or something other than God, uh, and and this is the desolation that they've come to. So uh, this is great devastation. There's death. There's heartbreak and shame that's being described here in these these first four verses. Uh, just to, we we see the devastation and we see the death. Uh, just uh, where it's it's pretty graphic, you know. The flesh of the, your saints uh, has been uh, given to the beasts of the earth, and uh, you know their blood is shed, and and that the birds of the air are feeding. I mean, those are those are awful things to think of. Uh, but uh, that's essentially what's happening there, uh, spiritually and physically. You know, this is they they had dealt with this, and they were they were murdered, and they were dragged out. And uh, when we consider all the devastation that's uh, being uh, described here, it's it's very heavy. Um, you know, when when you consider uh, in the first verse, it says your holy inheritance. You know, it's Israel's land. Um, you know, sin sin didn't belong in their land, and when it does, this is the result. You know, God had given them very clear instructions, which we're studying in our in our study in Exodus, right? They, God gave them the Ten Commandments, and now we're going through uh, those dealings uh, with each other, the, the the dealings with taking care of uh, animals and responsibilities. We, we've been studying those the past uh, couple of weeks also. And when we see that they turn away from these things and they've turned their backs on God, these this has been the result. And uh, picking up in, in verse 5, uh, we see the anger of the Lord being addressed. How long? Lord, will your you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? 
pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste on his uh, on his dwelling place. So uh, the prayer uh, for God's anger and wrath to turn away. Uh, God's jealousy is a righteous jealousy, uh, just like a, a spouse. If there was infidelity within a marriage, there would be a rightful jealousy uh, of somebody's heart departing from the one that they're, they vowed to love and uh, a turning away of that and, and that uh, intimacy, that love being shared with somebody else. And I'd say that lust out of lust, you know, that their their time and attention, that the uh, everything that took place in somebody's mind and heart to cause them uh, to commit that adultery, the same happened spiritually with Israel, that uh, they would they would turn away. And when it says the jealousy, I remember, um, and I've shared this before, so sorry if I sound like a broken record, but we had some friends say uh, that they were uh, they were turning away from God at some point. Jen had a conversation, and they were they were dear friends of ours. They're still friends of ours, but we don't have the bond of the Lord holding us together anymore. And they live out of state. And, um, they had just said, well, you know, I've really been watching a lot of things. And I've watched Oprah. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, if Oprah is your spiritual guidance, we've got problems, right? If any person is your spiritual guidance, you know, that God would be our spiritual guidance, that the word of God would be our guidance. And uh, they, they were just saying, well, I kind of agree with, with, Oprah, because Oprah was calling God, God unrighteous uh, for b having jealousy. Uh, you know that 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 God uh, wants our love and attention, and He deserves it. You know, for us to turn away from the loving God that has done nothing but give us life and uh, freedom and mercy and grace and those things, and for us to say, "Yeah, thanks, but uh, no thanks," and turn away—that's uh, that's a righteous jealousy. But I, I, it was heartbreaking to know that. Um, and, uh, and I do pray that, that, uh, as, uh, if, if there are more conversations that happen in the future, uh, that, that we can, we can address these things. Like I said, they live a long ways away and we don't, we're not really in contact with them anymore, but that was heartbreaking. And this was years and years ago. And I do pray for uh, a renewed, um, uh, blessing within our relationship that God would restore that in him. And that it would get back to the point where they, they, they figure out, wait a minute, we've turned, and, uh, you know, I, I was taking uh, my my guidance, my spiritual guidance from somebody that's saying what they think people want to hear for ratings. And uh, they're just sharing their own opinions and and those things. And and regardless, the jealousy that's that's listed here, you know, when, when someone might say, oh, see, he's a jealous God, you know, and and and. You know, often, especially in in our culture, when we hear jealous, you might think it's somebody who's over possessive. Um, but the one that rightfully should have our hearts and our love uh, for us to turn away from him is wrong. So uh, when when we see that listed there, it's not a wrong jealousy; it's a a, a righteous jealousy. And uh, so, what the prayer is here, what Asaph is writing is. They're, they're asking for the anger and wrath of God to be turned toward their enemies, away from them and toward the, the enemies. You know, they want them punished uh, for what they did to the land. Um, but there's a, there's a problem with that, you know. But those that were called by his name, you know, he, where he's, he's saying here that uh, those that aren't called by uh, your name, it, uh, when he's, he's saying that here uh, in... Um, I think it's verse six for uh, those who don't know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. There, there was a nation that was called, uh, was supposed to call on it and was known as his name. Israel, the name, the Israel is governed by God. You know, they were called to be separate. They were called to be different. And what they, what they were doing is they were corrupted by what was corrupting all the, the nations around them. And they were acting just like the idolatrous nations around them. So uh, they were acting no different than uh, the cultures around them. And the, the same, unfortunately, can be said for most of the, well, I, sh I shouldn't say most of, that's kind of a uh, kind of a gross generalization, but for the church, it's in, it's permeated the church even today. It's, a, it's, I should say it's plagued the church even today that we, that we've compromised so many things, even, even within um, uh, Christian music. I listened to a podcast 
and I know I brought him up before, but I man, the, the guy, everything the guy has said has has been right spot on that I've heard. Uh, John Cooper, the the uh, lead singer for the band Skillet, the Christian rock band Skillet, and man, is that guy on fire for the Lord? And is he he is he is on a mission to combat the poisons that are 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 uh, are infiltrating the church specifically where he's uh, he's in the Christian music industry and hearing him say, guys. It's bad. <laughs> He's like, you'll hear songs from you know people, and that w- you don't know what's really going on in their lives because they that doesn't sell records. And what they truly accept within their lives, the the uh, the hypocrisy and the idolatry that uh, that happens within their hearts, and what they stand for, and what they they support uh, within this culture that that is directly against the word of God. And and I listened to it, and he was giving examples. He's quoting. These things, and and he's quoting arguments that came uh, from uh, leaders within the industry uh, that some are saying this, and then a pastor would 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 uh, counter that and say these. I'm, and I'm talking about bands that we've heard on Christian radio that they're this, you know, they're under this name, and I'll just say it. There's a band called Judah and the Lion. Uh, if you've ever heard of that, he also is a a secular an artist by himself, uh, and uh, he just calls himself Judah. And as Judah, he's, I believe it was the F-bomb that was dropped in one of his songs. And he got a lot of flack for it. And his management team saying, no, it's okay. you got to understand, we're trying to reach the lost. And, and then they're saying that, that any Christian that's speaking out against that is, is wrong for doing so. And, and, and calling us that, that we're separated from the times and we're not able to reach the culture. And, and then he's saying, well, you know, he, he's misquoting and he's misrepresenting Jesus, saying, well, Jesus was hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors. Yes, but he wasn't acting like them, right? He was calling them out of that culture, calling them away. We're called to be different, right? You know, there, there are Christian rappers that uh, uh, had to be uh, corrected. Um, with a, a shirt that was created, uh, there's a um, a secular uh, female artist named Cardi B, uh, who has an, an a, 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 just a grotesque and awful song out there that was number one on the charts, pornographic song, extremely pornographic song. Uh, he's reading, he's editing the lyrics as he's reading them, but for a Christian to say uh, on a T-shirt that they can be ratchet and righteous at the same time that you can be wretched and righteous at the same time. And on the I think it's on the back of the shirt, it would say, I can quote Cardi B and Corinthians. If you read Corinthians, Corinthians is speaking against what she's, she's singing about and rapping about. That shouldn't be part of the church. That shouldn't be. So we have to understand that these things permeating the church, and then we see the devastation within the church. Look at you know our our marriage rates. Should, uh, sorry, our divorce rates should not mirror those of the of the secular world, but they do. You know because we have the the church has turned from the word of God, and the church has more embraced the culture, saying we need to be progressive. And what I'd say is no, you're digressive. You're not moving forward. You're you're falling away from God. That that whole word progressive, progressing on your way to hell is what it is. It's digressive spiritually. You know, those those types of things are awful. And that's where we find this type of devastation coming to to fruition here is as we turn away from the Lord and we start accepting the culture and rejecting the word. And that's what's happened with them is they've just been so uh, permeated by the idolatry and the craziness uh, in, in the, the, the surrounding cultures that it's, it's ruined them and it's destroyed them and they've turned and their hearts have turned from the Lord and uh, they're, they're experiencing this great devastation. You know, they were the ones called by his name and they, they turned and they were misrepresenting him. And uh, they were offending him, and they were acting like all those nations around them. So, uh, you know, when there's the cry out, "Lord, would you, would you, you know, turn your wrath and your judgments uh, toward, uh, you know, those those that are afflicting us?" And the Lord's correcting them right now. We've talked about God's correction. He He corrects those who He loves, right? He chastens those whom He loves. If He's not chastening us. Right, you guys know what's going to come next. That that's when we get really scared. We talked about the conscience this morning. That that conscience can become so dull, uh, and, and and to a point where the con, you know, our conscience means nothing to us. 
if we continue to shut that down where the conscience is reflecting to us the right thing that we should do and we just like a window if we're not attending to it it starts to get too blurry and you can't even see through it and and what we're supposed to be able to see and we talked about the window the clean window and all that and the light coming through and and those types of things uh, this this morning but but understanding you know their their depravity and where they're at and the devastation they're experiencing was a result of their sin and and uh, God uh, allowing for them uh, to be corrected verse 8 oh do not remember for uh, former iniquities against us let your tender mercies come speedily uh, to meet us for we have been brought very low help us O God our salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us uh, and provide atonement for our sins uh, for your name's sake why should the nation say where is your God let there be known among them uh, nation uh, among the nations in your sight and uh, sorry, let's back up to verse uh, the beginning of verse 10. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. So the cry for mercy, going back to verse 8, uh, and when we consider the cry here, uh, verses 8 and 9, the cry for mercy, atonement for God's grace. They're asking for God's tender mercies to meet them. Uh, that that and, and then it says here that they've been brought very low uh, and some lower than others, right? We've uh, I've, in conversations and I've seen this um, uh, in the in my time uh, serving the Lord in ministry or or even outside of here with sometimes among loved ones. There's the the I, what I believe is the misunderstanding of of how when when I say addiction, I don't just mean drugs or alcohol or those things. But I don't know that there really is a rock bottom for people. Uh, and I say that because I've seen people hit what I would consider to be rock bottom. And I've described it here. Then they start bringing in the drills and they're like mining and they, they just want to drive. They want to keep going. And it's when because from the outside, there's there's the oh, well, this has to be it. there's this has to be it. And often case it's not. It's, it just continues. The devastation in their life just continues. And, and it's, it's mind-boggling for those that might be on the outside. But when we understand how sin works, sin's not done until we're dead, right? Sin, sin wants to rip apart marriages. Sin wants to rip apart lives uh, and uh, just go through and destroy everything. And uh, when they're met with the devastation, all they can do is cry out uh, for God's tender mercies to come in. Because right now they've experienced his judgment and his wrath, right? Because if, if you look back at verses uh, 6 and 7, they're saying, are you going to be angry forever? You know, pour out your wrath on those nations that don't know your name. You know, so what they're asking for is, would you please stop with these things? Uh, because we, we really would rather have your tender mercies. And any of us would want those. We, we should want God's tender mercy, uh, but, but God uses uh, these things, uh, these corrective um, things that are happening to them uh, to turn them back, to bring them to this point of, of repentance. You know, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. You know, that's, that's quite a thing being said here in verse 9. You help us, O God of our salvation, understanding who the God of salvation, you know, where salvation's coming, that it's coming from God. For the glory of your name, they had uh, embarrassed his name and they had brought discredit upon the Lord. And now they're, they're calling out for deliverance. And, and when they say provide atonement for our sin, uh, they've probably heard the play on words with atonement, that at one meant that God would bring us back to that point of at one minute with him uh, because our sin would uh, would bring a division uh, between us and him and that God would provide atonement, something to pay uh, for the penalty of our sin that would bring us back to him. And you probably know where I'm about to go with this. Uh, is uh, So if we look at uh, the New Testament and when, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil uh, that was in the temple said to be 18 inches thick. Uh, that that thing, it would take four teams of oxen on either side to, to, to tore, uh, tear that in two. That when Jesus died, it was torn in two from top to bottom. That was a statement from God saying, 
what Jesus Christ just did on the cross paid the penalty for us and there's no more separation between us and God. That the atonement for our sin uh, had been uh, completed. That, that Christ's blood being poured out for us. We took uh, communion this morning uh, to, to remember the broken body and the blood that was poured out for us to provide atonement for our sins because our sin had to be paid for. It couldn't just be wiped away. The, good, the just judge has to make sure that there's a penalty uh, that's, that's um, uh, declared uh, for the, the wrongdoing uh, that has been committed. And the wrongdoing was us against God. And then he sends his son to die for us. You guys are familiar with this, right? You know, when, when you look back and, and we see the day of atonement for Israel, where the, the one day a year the high priest could go in and offer in, uh, in the Holy of Holies and offer a spotless lamb for uh, the children of Israel, it was a picture of Jesus Christ being uh, as the lamb of God, being uh, his life being laid down for us. So Yom Kippur, if you see that on your calendar, uh, you'll see that September, October time frame. Um, uh, you'll see that on, on the calendar, on, on some calendars, you'll see that. And that's a day of atonement. And for Israel today or, or for Jews today, they look at it as, as a day of dedicate, rededicating their lives and a day of reflection on who they were and rededicating uh, over the, the past year and rededicating themselves. They unfortunately missed the meaning of the, the, the extreme power of the meaning behind the Day of Atonement, uh, where they've rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, so unfortunately, uh, they, they don't get to look at that and see that that was all fulfilled. And uh, so when there's atonement being cried out for, the, the atonement has been, uh, has been offered. And, you know, God has provided the atonement. For his name's sake, right? And we, we talked about, uh, you know, how they had carried his name and, and uh, brought shame to his name. Verse 11, let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their broken, uh, into their bosom, uh, they, uh, their reproach. Which, uh, with which they uh, have reproached you, O Lord. So we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. So uh, when, when we see here uh, verses 11 and 12, um, there is a, there's a cry for, uh, the, for God to hear uh, the, the prisoner and uh, when uh, they're they're crying out, those who have brought been brought in to to bondage. There's the cry for preser uh, per, uh, preservation here, and there's a cry for vengeance uh, that the Lord would repay sevenfold. Uh, he's the one to ask for uh, for him to take care of these situations, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, the Lord the Lord said that vengeance is His. You know, the Lord, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? So they're just asking that, Lord, what you, you've seen what they've done, and we pray uh, that you would uh, return on them sevenfold uh, and that you would take care of these things. And then there's a, 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 a shifting of the gears here in uh, verse 13. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture. So there, uh, he, what, what Asaph is doing here is identifying uh, the children of Israel as sheep in God's pasture in the land of Israel, and uh, you know when you consider when you're when you're saying we're your people, that means that you're calling God your shepherd. Uh, and they had been disobedient and not listened to the voice of their shepherd, and that's why they got here. So when he's <coughs> excuse me, when he's saying here, uh, so your uh, so we your people. Uh, the, and sheep of your pasture, we will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praises, uh, your praise to all generations. Here he's saying, we know that you're going to restore. We know, Lord, that you're going to call us back. And we, we want to hear your voice. And we know that you're going to restore. And when you do, we're going to give you thanks. And they're trusting and thanking him. You know, showing praise uh, to all generations, passing along these stories of redemption uh, of the Lord to the next generation and, and to the following generation that they might praise the Lord, giving praise uh, where it's due. Psalm, Psalm 80, and it's a, a prayer for Israel's restoration. 
So it's 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 interesting that uh, Psalm 79, after all the devastation that's described there, it ends by saying, you know, your people and the sheep of your pasture. And here comes verse 80, uh, where uh, we're seeing a prayer for Israel's restoration. And it starts with verse one, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, uh, you who lead <laughs> Joseph, Israel, um, like a flock and uh you who dwell between the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh stir up your strength and come and save us. And we're going to see here, this is said three times, verse three, uh, and very close to it here on the next two restore us. O God, uh, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. So it's, it's still that call, um, to the shepherd. Now they're calling out to, their shepherd. It's it's uh, um, you know Asaph, the same writer of Psalm 79, uh, wrote Psalm 80 here, and and he's crying out uh, to the shepherd of Israel. So uh, when we consider a shepherd, we can look at Psalm uh, 23. You know, the shepherd that leads to green pastures and still waters. Uh, those are calming things. Right. When you consider that you would lead me behind beside still waters into green pastures, because uh, oftentimes the chaotic uh, result of our sin would lean us to raging waters and and fear. Um, if you've ever been to something so powerful uh, like a waterfall, like I've been to Niagara Falls twice uh, and you see the, the tremendous power of those things. And just to think, man, to be to be in that, or just rushing water uh, when you when you look, at, especially in the spring when we've had uh, all the the melt off, and and then we have some rain, and you're like, man, to, to be in that water uh, would be uh, just rushing by, and it, it's not usually calming for us. We look at that and we're like, man, that is powerful, and that would be uh, detrimental to our health. Uh, and our life uh, to be in that, but the still waters, right? That the, the shepherd would lead us to a calming place and the shepherd would lead us to where the food and the good food is and find rest for our souls uh, for, for what he has to provide for us. You know, so when, when this is saying here, O shepherd of Israel, it, that, and when we consider uh, Psalm, uh, excuse me, John chapter 10, the good shepherd, the one that would stand between us and whatever would come between us, right? That would protect us. Uh, that that the shepherd was uh, was there to do. The shepherd would uh, would take the the sheep and and lay between the sheep and the exit, so the sheep can't get out and nothing can get, come in uh, and get to the sheep. The good shepherd, the one that would be willing to lay down his life for us. The hireling, not so. The one that doesn't care about the shepherd. The one that would say, "I'm not getting paid enough to care that much." But when we can meditate on God's goodness as the good shepherd. Uh, that's where the peace comes for us. You who led Joseph like a flock, it says. You who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth between the angels. Before Ephraim, uh, Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. You know, calling on God and the, the power of God uh, to deliver and, and to bring restoration uh, to Israel. So that, you know, the voice of the sheep crying out and they're asking for restoration, you know. So what needs restoration, right? Why would we restore something? Because it's broken, right? <laughs> you know, we don't just restore something that's not broken. You know, then it's not restoration. It might be an update, right? Uh, but if if uh, if there isn't something, I mean, you look at an old car, and if it's old, rusted, broken, doesn't run anymore, and somebody's putting their time and energy and talents into it, uh, and uh, to, because it, it's broken and it's uh, in the way it is, it doesn't have any worth. But when something has been uh, restored, uh, then it has worth and then it has meaning and purpose. But something that that has uh, fallen from its original state and and has gotten to a point of decay, which we all understand. And you know, you consider uh, you know what what rust does uh, to our vehicles here, right? I mean, uh, I, it's funny. I, I, where I work, I um, I was looking at a, a truck that I think is the same age as my truck. My truck is like I don't know, 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, and it's dead. It's, it's not going to get an inspection sticker again. Uh, it's at the point where uh, it's, uh, the, the rust has taken over and, and, and my truck's going to be done. And I see this truck uh, from one of the students at the school, same year, 
there's not a spot of rust on this thing. And I see a North Carolina license plate on it. Right? My wife's, you know, giving me a C. You know, she's like, yeah. Right? My North Carolina wife is looking. The devastation of the elements here and how we treat the elements, right? Uh, the, the salt and the calcium and, and what those things do to our vehicles. They don't last half as long as they do anywhere else. The transmission in my truck, the engine in my truck, uh, they're fine. That thing could run forever, uh, but it's not going to. That truck is on its last leg because the body itself is decaying. And it's and it's at a, at a, sp a spot right now with you know a little bit of bondo, a little bit of duct tape, and some rust and some spot uh, spray paint and everything. It's it's still kicking and everything, but uh, it the, the elements have had their way with my truck. So it, you know there there's a restoration there. Um, don't don't use my truck as the example, okay? It, it's it's beyond uh, any help. My truck is done. But it's an example, right? We can see a vehicle that's all broken down, and then when somebody has has spent the time on it and restored it, uh, and and now it finds its its purpose again. Cause your face uh, to shine. Uh, you know that's uh, we that they're asking for God's favorable attention to be turned toward uh, them and uh, and to restore them. Because right now they're uh, they're ashamed, and we'll see that here as we read in these next few verses. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against uh, the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them uh, tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. So they're ashamed. Uh, they're they're the laughing stock of the nations. Uh, around them, and uh, they are um, at the point where they're they're just crying out like, "Lord, okay, uh, you know, we've we've experienced the judgment. Can be we be restored now?" Like it says in verse three, "Restore us, O God." That that plead that that begging for God to restore because uh, they're they're they've been through so much that everything they're eating. And drinking, it seems like they're drinking those tears, you know. So they're they're eating these these. It's a it's a description of uh, everything we're taking in, everything that uh, you know we should be able to eat and be satisfied, but we're not because of you know where our sin has has led us. Would you would you please restore? Because it says it here again in verse seven, <laughs> restore us, O God of hosts, uh, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Um, it's, if you would consider that to be like the chorus of the song, it's repeated uh, throughout that, that uh, the cry again to restore here. Verses 8 and 9, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and uh, planted it. You know, the, the, we know uh, from our study uh, on Wednesday nights, so as we're studying this, they, Israel has just been led out of excuse me, led out of Egypt. And uh, what they're saying here is you brought the vine uh, where Israel is described as the vineyard or, or the vine, right? And, and we can see here there's, there's all kinds of times throughout the scripture where the fruit of the vine, the grapes, uh, uh, there's the, uh, the exp <coughs> excuse me, explanation in the scriptures uh, where we see the picture uh, here of Israel. So it's just a play on words. You've cast out the nations and planted it. Uh, you you brought us out and and you've cast out the nations before us and we see God doing that. What's that's where we're progressing toward in our our Old Testament study uh, on Wednesday nights is God giving them the promised land. We've got to go through them wandering in the in the wilderness for forty years before they do so. But God drove out the nations from before them to give them uh, that land. Verse 9, you prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and filled the land. That deep root and the filling of the land uh, that, that had taken place. Verse 10, uh, the hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. Uh, she sent out her boughs uh, to the sea and her branches uh, to the river. So uh, considering Israel, how blessed they were when it's talking here in, in, in verse uh, verse 11, she sent out her bows to the sea, speaking of the Mediterranean Sea, and the Euphrates um, uh, River here. Why uh, have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way uh, pluck her fruit? Uh, the boar out of the woods uproots it. Uh, 
and the wild beast of the field devours it. You know, consider uh, the the hedges um, uh, where where it's, it's talking about walls and fences that that used to be there. You know, why have you breaking broke down the protection, right? The hedge. Uh, have you ever prayed that or heard somebody saying that that there'd be a hedge of protection put around somebody that we would ask that God would protect? From anything that would come in, and what they're saying here is that uh, what's being said here is that the boar uh, had had come in and brought the destruction uh, out of the woods, and a wild beast out of the field, bringing uh, and devouring. They had been protected uh, within, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the protection of the Lord, and uh, where they turned, and God said, "Okay, you can have what you want, but you're going to reap what you sow." And we see uh, the effect of that. Verse fourteen. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit the vine, visit visit Israel. So it's a plea for God to return and restore Israel uh, in the midst of uh, this despair and destruction that's still being spoken of here. Um, the, they knew where their, their help came from, though. They knew the only hope was for God to restore. They weren't saying like, you know, hey, let's all get together, <coughs> excuse me, and we're going to restore these things. The cry of the psalmist is for God to restore uh, because God had allowed them to be brought to this point, and now they're asking God to turn and uh, and to bring uh, hope and to bring restoration again. Verse 15, and, and the vineyard which your right hand has planted in the, the, the branch that you made strong for yourself, you know, that branch it was made strong for, for him and for his purposes. Um, you know, God had set Israel up and Israel up and given them the, the recipe and the, the directions and uh, the, the commandments for them to be a strong nation. You know, that, that we see God crying out, you know, just turn, turn from your wicked ways and I'll restore. Turn, turn, turn. And, and, and God was saying, if my people were called by name would turn, I, you know, I'll restore them. You know, that was God's prayer here. And, and uh, you know, they were they were uh, they had everything they needed to be strong, but they, they chose uh, to turn against the Lord. And unfortunately, as we were just discussing, you know, uh, Christians can do the same, that we have what we need to walk uh, strong with the Lord. You know, we consider uh, what's described in Acts chapter two, that the uh, that the church would continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, the word of God uh, in prayer. Um in the breaking of bread and and uh, in songs, you know, when when we can, uh, when we are are we we've done all of those today. We've prayed together. We've broke bread together. Uh, we and we did last week in the um, uh, in the fellowship dinner, uh, and uh, we've uh, sang together. Which one am I missing? Prayer breaking bread. Uh, we were in the Word. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I just skipped over that one. Right. Uh, but we, we're we're getting into those 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 uh, things that we we can uh, take in that we can devour spiritually and and be nourished by and that we would stand firm in our and be strong uh, uh, for the Lord and stand uh, rather than uh, the uh, the opposite. Look at verse sixteen uh, where it says uh, it is burned with fire. It is cut down. They <laughs> they perished at the rebuke of your covenant. Of, uh, sorry, of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself, that we uh, will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Uh, that uh, that uh, devastation that's being described here, uh, that we wouldn't turn uh, from from the Lord. Look at verse 18. Then we will not turn back from you. You know, there's the the cry that God would would bring restoration, uh, and that He would, by His uh, mighty right hand, restore them. Uh, and, it, and it goes on to say, "Revive us." Uh, so to be revived means that we have no vitality in us, right? That's what you do: revive something, something to be brought back from the dead. That you don't revive something that's not dead. They're saying we are spiritually dead, God. Would you please breathe the breath of, of life back into us and revive us, bring us back uh, to restore us uh, to life? And we will call upon your name. Revive us and we'll call upon your name. Uh, restore us, it says. It goes back to that, uh, you know, if you consider it this way, uh, as a the chorus of the song, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. 
cause your face to shine upon us and we shall be saved. You know, just that crying out. Yeah, God, we acknowledge where we're at. Uh, sometimes it takes uh, quite a bit for us to get to there. And, and look what it took for Israel to get there. There were the warnings all the way along. God giving them the warnings when he gave them uh, the, the commandments. And, and God warning them through the prophets and, uh, and, they were, and even through the judges. And, and then you look and the kings are just, uh, and we talked about this last week, the kings. And this one rose up and he did evil in the sight of the Lord and died. And, and we saw, you know, the blessings that came with those that were seeking the Lord and the opposite, the you know, the death and destruction that happened uh, from rejecting the Lord. And, and even with those hints, Israel still stiff-necked and hard-hearted, as Stephen told at the, you know, as he was blasting the religious leaders in Acts chapter seven and giving that that sermon for the, excuse me, for the ages, um, you know, the 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 um, the stubbornness that uh, they they wouldn't turn uh, from their sin. So we're uh, we will get to Psalm eighty-one, and we'll start it right here, and we'll end it. Psalm uh, Psalm eighty-one. So here's an appeal to Israel to repent. This is, uh, you know, quite another one to uh, to read and, and to meditate on. A lot of a lot of things to consider here. Sing aloud uh, to God, our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, uh, the the pleasant harp uh, with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon and the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. Uh, so there's the call to, to praise God. Uh, and and to use uh, instruments that, where it's, it's describing the pleasant harp uh, with the lute and you know blow the trumpet at the new moon that they would be celebrating as they were supposed to be able to uh, if they were walking in in, uh, in uprightness with the Lord. Uh, look at verse five. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt. When I heard a language I did not understand. You know, that God established them, that there would be praise, that they would be able to, in their joyfulness, make joyful noise uh, to the Lord. Uh, and, and this was the intent, and this is where they uh, should have been uh, spiritually. Look and consider what God is saying here in verse 6. It says, I, re <laughs> Excuse me. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble. And I answered, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder, and I tested you at the waters of Meribah. So, in these two verses, there's there's a lot to consider. So, God is speaking of the deliverance that He brought to Egypt, that He takes uh, their burden from them. Now, it's important to understand God took all of their burden. He didn't take some of their burden. When we consider the, the type, the picture that Egypt is, right? Egypt is a picture of sin in our lives and God delivering us from sin. God takes all of the burden of sin away from us, right? Uh, where we, we know that God removed them completely from Israel and, and, and uh, totally from Israel. Uh, so when he uh, pronounced in, uh, his judgments and, and then carried out his judgments, as he said he would in Genesis 15, that he said he would pronounce uh, that he would judge the nation that oppressed them. Uh, and, and then he carried those things out and we went through and we, we studied through uh, the, uh, the, um, the whole process of Israel and the beginning of, ex sorry, of Egypt being judged. And, and the awful things that we would never want to uh, to experience. And we saw those things being carried out. To understand, uh, God showed his judgment upon uh, their idolatry and, and, and uh, was, was condemning their idolatry and showing Israel uh, the, the result of their uh, idolatry. And then delivering them out, it wasn't done. Uh, it, it was nothing that Israel had to do. They they weren't drawn out by a military might. They didn't fight their way out of Egypt. God just delivered them by His own strength, 
Remember, we talked about this even last week, uh, where uh, where God brought them to the point uh, where they were stuck, and uh, there was death on one end of them, and there's the the ocean in front of them, and God parted the Red Sea, and they were able to walk through, and God took care of everything. He delivered them completely from their burden. That the the whole entire Egyptian army was swallowed up and dead. They were delivered completely from Egypt, never to return uh, to slavery in Egypt. Delivered them completely. He removed all of their burdens. There wasn't a burden that that wasn't that that remained. I removed from his shoulder. He's talking about Israel his, from his shoulder the burden. Right? They were getting so burdened that they were already burdened. And when uh, Moses came in and said, "Hey, let my people go," what was the response of Egypt? Egypt's like, "Hey, you know what? These guys have all this time. They want to come and they want to ask to go be able to work. They've got too much time on their hands." Let's let's work double time here. And you know what? We're going to we're going to take away the straw. They're going to have to go get their own straw and make their own bricks, but they're still going to have to make the quota. So they're doing they're they're working so much harder, but the quota was the same and they were being uh, greatly afflicted. And that's how sin works. The great affliction of sin. Right. And God is saying that he he removed the burden uh, from their shoulder. His hands were freed uh, from the baskets, those things that were uh, that were part of their bondage. Verse seven, you called in trouble and I delivered you. God even said, I've heard the, the cries of my uh, my uh, people, Israel, in the land of Egypt. And he answered, it says, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. That's a that's a quite a, quite an uh, just an amazing thing to to kind of ponder, isn't it? Right, God pulling them around Mount Sinai, and we studied this just recently. And there, there's such a thick cloud around there, and Israel wants nothing to be uh, to do with being close to all the thunder and the lightning and all those things. But God was speaking to them uh, in, <coughs> excuse me, in that scenario, and uh, they they had seen something miraculous that was happening there. That that loud thunder that was happening. It was it was quite a a, a display of power. And then God says, I tested you at the waters of Mirabah, uh, you know, to to consider uh, the waters of Mirabah, you know, uh, that uh, the, stri the strife or uh, contention, um, you know, they, they had gr been groaning and complaining. Uh, so moving forward after um, uh, as as they're progressing through uh, and uh, after the uh, uh, the incident at the, the Red Sea where uh, Egypt's army was was destroyed, uh, they quickly, right after that, start you know looking right at uh, Moses. And they're crying out to Moses, but they're really crying out against the Lord. And they're, oh, yeah, there must not have been room enough in Egypt, so you brought us out here to kill us, right? And, uh, and that, <laughs> excuse me, that came later as they're getting, uh, you know, uh, hungry and they're thirsty and oh, all our livestock's going to die. And they've got all these, these cries. You'll see it in Exodus 14 and Exodus 17. And what does God do? Miraculously provide for them, right? Manna from heaven. They've got quail and they've got water coming from a rock. Uh, and, uh, you know, God is saying here, you know, that I tested you at the waters of Meribah, you know, and, and, and to think you didn't have any drinking water. You needed them. Uh, and what did you do? You cried out. You didn't trust me. You you know, I just did all these things. God showed himself strong in so many ways and, and demonstrating in great miraculous ways uh, to them his the strength uh, and uh, the, his might. And uh, it's, it's almost like they didn't learn anything. They didn't get anything. And God is saying that I, I did all these things uh, and, and tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, oh, my people. <clears throat> And I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. Uh, there uh, shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Uh, so God is explaining to them that this is a result of them uh, committing idolatry and adultery against him. And, uh, you know, he's telling them the first commandment, right? Uh, you know, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, right? Uh, and, and, you know, to have no other gods before him. And uh, so they, he's, he's readdressing this with them. Um, and God was very serious about idolatry and, and the adultery within their heart uh, to turn away from him. You know, he, he brought them out. Uh, and like he says here, I am the one who brought you out. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
It was me. I was the one that delivered you. And he said, I love what he says here. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You know, God's ability, <coughs> excuse me, to provide uh, what what we need in our lives uh, is is going to provide such a, a greater fulfillment uh, that comes from God than uh, what the world has to offer us. And, and I think many of us here have been through the school of hard knocks and trying to fill our lives with what was not going to fill us. And God's just saying, hey, you did all these things and you had to pour yourself out and you had to give yourself completely to those things that weren't going to fill you. If you would just cry out to me and return to me, I'll fill your mouth and I'll give you the fulfillment. All you have to do is open your mouth, right? I mean, look look at what, this, what the world does. It just continues to take more, take more and give less, right? That's how sin works. It brings to that point of, of emptiness. The more we pour ourselves out, uh, the the more empty we would be if we're if we're in disobedience to God and and that vain pursuit of trying to fill our lives with what isn't going to fill it and all God's is saying is spiritually for us to open our mouth up and He's going to fill it you know I, I mean uh, I don't know how many times you know with our with our kids we'd have good food Jen would make awesome meals and you know the kids are sitting there and their little babies are sitting in their high chair they're not opening their mouth. Mm-mm. Right. They're turning their face. They're crying. And and they're they're, they're just I, I don't want that. I don't want that. You know, they would take the pudding or they would take the dessert and those things. But the nourishment they really needed, they wouldn't even open them. And they didn't have to do anything for it. Right. That's a dream world. Right. You haven't you got nothing to do. And somebody's actually going to spoon feed you with it. Right. You know, think about that. Right. Uh, that, that And, and uh, that it's not even enough for them. It's a picture for us. You know, that the Lord would be willing to, to feed us in, in that nourishment. And he's, hey, whatever you need, let me provide it for you. You called me, you know, and, and um, when we look at the uh, the shepherd in verses uh, 79 and 80, I've got the fulfillment for you. I'll bring you to the spot you want, but you won't even open your mouth. You know, they're, they're, unfortunately, because look at verse 11. But my people would not hear my hear, not heed my voice. And Israel uh, would have none of me. That's a sad verse. Right, the the God that's ready to pour Himself into and and to just love on Israel. And remember, uh, there there were examples of Israel turning their back on the Lord all through the Old Testament. You know, the one that comes to mind right now is Israel demanding a king. We want to be just like everybody else. We don't want God to be our king. We want to be like everybody else, right? And they're just saying, no, 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 no. Uh, what, what's happening here isn't enough. God's saying you don't need a king. Because, and then what happens? Like, okay, if you want a king, guess what? You're going to have to give up your sons and daughters. You're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to give, uh, uh, you know, uh, of your, your livestock. You're going to have to give of everything because that king needs something there. I mean, the king's not going to go out and go to work. The king's supposed to be ruling. So whatever you want, it's going to cost you, right? And all you had to do was just let God be your king. And Israel insisted, so God gave it to him. And uh, they got an ungodly king, then they got a godly king, and then it just started going almost a coin flip on on from there uh, for them. But uh, just to know that the Lord, that's a sad verse. My people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. That's a, just, uh, it just cuts you to the heart, that the loving father just crying, just come, let me be your father, let me be the one that leads you. And I, no, we're good, thanks. You know, we we can do that in our own hearts. We have that ability to uh, in our own hearts to do that to the Lord. And it's heartbreaking to see that. They wouldn't, uh, you know, it says, uh, you know, but they would not heed my voice. That doesn't say they could not heed my voice. It said they would not, you know, that their will, uh, they wanted their will over the father's will. That's the implication there. They would not. Uh, they, they, they could, it's not that they couldn't, uh, they wouldn't, right? Verse 12, so I gave them over to their stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. You want your own counsels? Here you go. And he gave them over to it, right? Uh, we, we've even uh, discussed this, uh, you know, Paul wrote, you know, that God uh, gave those with, um, you know, the, uh, that were wanting to, um, live their lives uh, in sexual opposition to God's word. He gave them over to vile passions. You know, they're going to be hard-hearted about things. God's going to give them over. And when they have the stubbornness of heart, you know, uh, you know, rebellion is as uh, the sin of witchcraft. Uh, and uh, look, I mean, when we think of witchcraft, you're like, wow, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. 
when you think somebody's okay, this is demonic, right? They're calling on uh, on on satanic uh, power. They're calling on demonic powers. Uh, when we look at that, it's like, wow, that's big. And God is is equating stubbornness and rebellion to that. Uh, that's that's quite a um, that's that's quite a, a statement there. You know what you want to that, that God gave them over to their own stubborn heart. Uh, he gave them the dictates of their heart. You know, you can look at it. That's what they wanted. Uh, that's what they got. In verse 13. Oh, that my people. Uh, uh, let me see here. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would uh, would walk in my ways. This is the heart of a loving father crying out. Uh, you know, that's how God works. He pleads, he calls, and uh, he, he warns against these things. But he really just wants us to seek him and to follow him. Now, many that mock our faith will say, oh, yeah, he's, he's just a selfish God. He won't. No, it's, it's, it's good for us to serve him. It's good for us to know our creator. Um, and, and it blesses him when we want to know him. You know, that it's a loving, God is calling us to a loving relationship. He's not calling, I love that song, Completely Broken. You know I've said it uh, here, but he brings us gently to our knees in repentance. You know, that's what God, he's a loving God, and he cries out to us out of great love. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Remember when Jesus said, oh, Israel, I want to call you. I, I just like to put you under my wing, uh, but you wouldn't have it. But but you you wouldn't have me. It's that same same rejection there that's that's uh, taking place. Unfortunately, us with our free will, uh, we have uh, not used it oftentimes not to serve him, but to serve ourselves, and that's the the, the depravity that we uh, and what Israel was experiencing there, and just God's crying out that my people would listen to me. If you just listen, right? Have you ever been to that point where you see somebody destroying their lives or you've been on the other side of it and people have been like, if you would just listen. And you learn from the school of hard knocks, right? If I just would have listened. It's the, it's the simplicity of just not being stubborn. Um, but, uh, man, our free will is, is, is a wonderful gift, but uh, we can take it and use it for the wrong reasons. Verse uh, uh, the end of verse 13 says that Israel would walk in my way. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord uh, would pretend, uh, would uh, pretend submission to him, but uh, their fate would endure uh, forever. And uh, continuing on in verse 16, he would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with the honey uh, from with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. You know, the, there's the opposition here. You know, there's that desperation from God uh, that if you call to me, I take care of things. I take care of uh, those that hate you. Um, but uh, but your fate would endure forever. He says uh, he would have have fed them also with the finest of wheat. They could have experienced the blessings. Uh, and when it's talking about the wheat and, and uh, the honey there, you know, the, the, the finest of things, the satisfaction that comes from uh, just walking with the Lord, there's nothing that it can be compared to. You know, so as we consider uh, what we've read in those uh, those psalms there, the cry out for God's mercy, the cry uh, for uh, re the um, uh, for Israel to be restored and God crying out for repentance, right? So uh, quite a quite a chunk there for us to consider and and to look at and, and to learn from. But uh, the overwhelming theme is the need for God's mercy uh, to for us to be restored and that our our shepherd wants us to stay within the sheep pen of of described. Uh, the the uh, conversation I had with a lady at work that just wanted to, she was a Christian, I could have this conversation. We we, we could have, because I, I knew the teaching uh, that she had had uh, from Calvary Chapel, and I could say, you know this is wrong, right? You know this is wrong, and I know you've heard that, and I know you've been taught this, and we need, as Christians, to stay within the sheep pen, right? Stay where we're supposed to be, otherwise we end up in a place like this. You know, the shepherd is just saying, just stay, just listen to my voice. Um, and God calling out, uh, saying, I want to restore you. Just listen. You know, we have a wonderful God that, that wants to have a wonderful relationship with us. And this is great information for us to be able to take in and share with those that might be fighting against us, that we know that are just walking in stubbornness. Or for the lost and say, hey, this is if you don't know God and you want to know him and bring him right here and say, oh, man, 
you have to understand the heart of a loving father crying out like as he did here in in uh, verse uh, verse uh, 13 of Psalm 81. Oh, that my people, you know, that God would call. So that's a loving God in the Old Testament, right, who's often misunderstood. And uh, it's just a wonderful uh, you know, gospel message we have to share. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you that you love us and you uh, that you are so faithful to correct us uh, and to lead us to repentance and uh, to restore us. And uh, God, that you uh, are are desiring uh, not only that, but to fill us, that you that we would open our mouths up and that you would fill us and you want to give us the satisfaction that you offer the fullness of life that you have for us as we walk with you. We praise you for your love for us. We pray that we would uh, not be stubborn, that we would follow you and uh, and, and uh, just uh, walk with you and love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.